Hello and welcome to Best Comics Ever. I'm your host, Dave Using, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookCarol.com. I'm joined today to talk Dawn of X, X-Men Wave 1 with Zach Quaint. He is the uh, leader over at... What do, you, what do you go by? Do you go by editor-in-chief, founder? I should have asked. Uh, editor-in-chief slash founder, but it, it doesn't come up too often. <laughs> right, right. It's really more of a LinkedIn thing. Uh, Zach Quaint's comics bookcase, writer over at The Beat, and uh, all around uh, very knowledgeable and fun comics presence. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you, Zach. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. I've been uh, versing myself in, in all things X the last few hours. Uh, just to prep for this, I'm excited to talk Dawn of X. Awesome. Me too. So the Dawn of X for the uninitiated is the X-Men era that is following the big House of X and Powers of Ten event that X-Men comics published in uh, the summer, late summer of 2019. It's written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Pepe Larraz and R.B. Silva. And Dawn of X launched with six titles. Launched with X-Men, New Mutants, X-Force, uh, Excalibur, Fallen Angels, and Marauders. And it is, you know, this follow-up to a huge status quo shift in the X-Men era. If you're listening to this, you are probably well aware. But essentially what has happened is the X-Men now all live on the island nation of Krakoa. And not just the X-Men, but all of mutant kind, heroes and villains alike. So it's this huge status quo shift. There are these amazing things like resurrection protocols on Krakoa where effectively any mutant can be brought back to life. Um, via some some interesting Professor X, Cerebro, and a handful of, of other sometimes surprising mutants as well. Uh, it's been super fun. House of X and Powers of Ten was one of my favorite comics of 2019. The event is excellent. Hickman is a creator that I absolutely love. And Dawn of X, we are now at least six issues deep into every launch title. So, Zach, I'll start here. Where What has been your overall impression of the X-Men Dawn of X, and is it living up to the hype that the event built? So I my my overall impression is that it's been it's been an absolute success, uh, and and it sort of delivered on on the promises that we heard before House of X even began that that we were about to get a, a totally new era of X-Men comics, and I think that's exactly what this is. There's just a new uh, returned vitality. Uh, to these books that's sort of been missing from the line, and I am loving it. Yeah, I, I have overall very positive impressions of the Dawn of X as well. I mean, I think so. Of the six series launch titles, I would say four I really enjoy. I think four are very, very good. And then I think, and I'll just call them by name, Excalibur has been very mixed for me. The first volume, it just didn't it didn't hit in the ways that I hoped that it would. Um, it's Teeny Howard, Marcus Two, very talented creators, so I had high hopes. It's got Apocalypse very heavily incorporated in this sort of weird, untapped, magical element of X-Men comics. But as a series, it hasn't super won me over, but I'm I'm interested, right? I'm in still interested to see where it goes. And then Fallen Angels was five issues by Brian Hill and, um, what is it, Simon Kodransky. And that, that to me was, I don't like being this critical. I, I got to be honest, but I did not like that book. <laughs> it was a total dud for me. Um, but percentage-wise, you know, four out of six, two-thirds, pretty good, is is a nice uh, a nice percentage of a launch. Where do you fall kind of similarly, or do you have different power power rankings? No, I'm I'm lockstep with you there. Uh, I won't belabor it, but Fallen Angels kind of. Swing and a miss, I think, sort of brought out the war somehow brought out the worst in the entire creative team, and it just kind of didn't work. Uh, and I'm also with you on Excalibur. Like I, 
I do like it in the sense that I think it sort of brings something different to the line, but it's I'm not really that engaged with it this this deep in. Um, but I do think that the the batting average is high, and it especially when you when you start to compare it to. I mean, we always have this number of Xbooks, right? Like the the amount of Xbooks we have is nothing new. I think with this new line, what's changed is that they're like four four X titles to pay attention to and look forward to at once is sort of something we haven't had in many, many years. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, let's let's talk there because the the idea of a consolidated line um, and, you know, kind of an accessible one, it, it has come up a lot lately. And I've seen this from um, like readers and listeners over on Compact Herald. I'm sure you get this a lot too at Comics Book Case. But House of X and Powers of Ten, it did do an amazing thing, especially for Marvel. Which, which has an, an overproduction problem in that it reduced all of X-Men, every X-Men comic, to one book for 12 weeks, right? It came out weekly, 12 issues, and for that time period, there was only one comic to talk about. And I do think that was tremendously important and successful in terms of the hype and the focus that it helped build. I, even when Dawn of X announced it was going to have six titles, there was a part of me coming off of House of X and Powers of Ten, even recognizing that six books in the X-Men line is is way consolidated compared to where Marvel is normally at. There was a part of me that was like, I kind of wish it would launch with one or two. Like, keep this, keep this trend going. Now, that is obviously like marvel making a quote-unquote sacrifice financially because you know the fewer books they're publishing the less money they're making potentially potentially um so now we're seeing especially as the wave two announcements are rolling in as we're building up into the getting close to 15 titles range and just a, a wide variety of books to potentially try to keep up with there's a i guess a fair amount of backlash from people who are like it's too much it's too soon um i i've looked at historically you know, how many X books is Marvel typically producing? And the answer usually scales upwards towards 20. So it's not atypical for what Marvel has done throughout the 2000s. That said, it feels like a lot coming off of House of X and Powers of 10, where it was bringing in so many people who had left X-Men or or sort of, you know, maybe had never read X-Men comics. Um, do you think the consolidation of Dawn of X was, do you think like launching with six was the right call, I guess, in a sense? And do you... Do you wish Marvel would limit the the product even more? I mean, yeah. In, a, in, in an ideal situation, I, I that's an issue I constantly wish that Marvel would do is that they would they would exercise a little bit of restraint and streamline things. But I don't I don't really. I mean, I'm not tweeting about it. I'm not I'm not vocal about it because I if you followed Marvel in the last few years, you know that that's just it's you're wasting your time and sort of wanting that. Like Marvel has a distinct business model, which is just put out as many books as fast as they can and market them in a way that makes people think they're all essential. Like that, that's kind of how they operate. Uh, I think you touched on this, but I was shocked that they were only going to do one X-Men title a week for 12 weeks. And I think if anything, that was sort of a, a, a good faith promise to readers. Like, yeah, they were making a sacrifice because they wanted to get it right uh, and build a foundation that they could, they could put these the when the glute of titles returned when they were publishing too many X books again they'd have a foundation that that would assure you that even within this this uh, excess of titles they were going to put out that they were still interested in maintaining the quality of them um, 
so yeah, I, I don't know. I like I I sort of haven't even thought too hard about what if Marvel only did one or two X books a month or even a week. Um, just because I don't, I you know, I've been I've been through the the frustration ringer with Marvel and it's kind of excess and I've, I've sort of accepted them as they are in 2020, which is there's going to be a lot of Marvel comics and, you know, chill out and, and read what you like and you're not going to be. Able- yeah. I, I do think that's the right attitude because even as I'm saying it, it, it is just like, it's just not realistic. Like that is just not the publisher that Marvel is or desires to be um, to have them consolidate. I, you know, the other piece too is, when I look at all the Wave 2 announcement, I'm almost always excited about the new stuff that they're saying is going to be out there. So like the upcoming X-Factor by Leo Williams and David Baldion, like I'm super excited to see them explore resurrection protocols and what that means in the Krakoa era. And, you know, X-Men Fantastic Four launched, Wolverine launched, and these books are like kicking off with really good first issues. So I, I can't pretend that I'm not a fan of more content that fits into the Krakoa era. And and even though there will be some missteps here and there, like you do kind of have to take shots to figure out what what those misses are going to be. So having said that, the Krakoa era of X-Men, what are the things that you're looking for or that are that are succeeding for you in terms of like what makes a book fit in this new era of X-Men? And what are the things that you really want to see from them that makes it different than, you know, than X-Men comics that have been coming out since, you know, 1963. Yeah, so the I have kind of have two answers to that. What what I'm what I'm most impressed by with this new new era of X-Men is they is is structural sort of uh with the storytelling. Like with with the Krakoa concept and the idea that that they can revive mutants, they've they've done this really impressive thing where they've made it so that all that past ex zaniness, the deaths, the the resurrections, the deaths, the resurrections count. Like it's it it all happened, and they but they've come up with an answer uh, for why they don't have to write around it. They, oh, they they've just the system has been built that brings them all back. And I think from a storytelling perspective, that's that's really impressive because in in my opinion, the last decade or so, the problem the X Men constantly faced was that you could you couldn't read the books and and keep track of who was dead, who was an alternate reality version of themselves, who, who was a vampire in the case of Jubilee for some reason, like there was just, they just sort of muddied the water so severely. And this house of X powers of X dawn of X era has structurally found a way within the story to fix all that. Um, so I, I've just, I, I continue to be really impressed with that and, and how clean it has ended up being, um, in terms of what I'm looking for, uh, from a new new X-Men title that, that hasn't been around is there's this, it's almost like a geopolitical angle that a lot of this has taken that's really working for me and that feels new. I think a lot of the X-Men comics in the past were sort of rooted in this, uh, like a high cosmic soap opera feel, like they'd go into space, they'd, they'd all be sleeping with each other, they'd, and a lot of the drama was derived from that. But they've, they've built in this, in books like Mortars and, and occasionally in the X-Men main title, this idea that mutants have have found almost a diplomatic uh solution to to fitting in on earth has really led to some interesting uh, drama that i don't think x-men has directly been able to tackle before krakoa being a nation state having an economic advantage over the rest of the the world by selling this uh this medicine that that 
so many countries need and, and have to do business with them. Has, I just find that incredibly uh, enthralling as a story point, like issues like X-Men number five, the mortar series, it sort of tackles economics of it. That's the stuff that's really drawing me in right now, which isn't to say when they do some of the more character driven stuff, I'm not interested in that either. Like I really uh, like the Wolverine uh, solo launch we just got, I thought it was incredibly well done, but uh, yeah, the, so the geopolitical kind of economic, uh, mutants, mutants with a seat at the UN stuff is really, really working for me. Just every time they go to that well, um, which they've sort of done discriminately so far, um, I'm super into that. And those have kind of been my favorite uh, Dawn of X moments so far. Yeah, yeah, I love that call out because the the idea of Krakoa as a nation state that is kind of a new, it's a new place in the Marvel Universe, a la Wakanda, right? And seeing Krakoa interact in the Marvel Universe with other nations, with other countries, with other Marvel heroes, in the case of X-Men Fantastic Four, that becomes very, very compelling. So I've been similarly fascinated to see how that plays out, to see just the little details like, okay, the X-Men you know, or Krakoa and, you know, Professor X and Magneto and all of them, they own this, the drug market now. And just like, how does Big Pharma react to that? How do cartels react to that? How do, how do certain nations that were also developing and, and basing their economy on similar technology react to that? That stuff is is really fascinating. And it's something we've, you know, it's like Genosha is probably the closest comp um, or even like, you know, when the X-Men were on Utopia, but they never quite so wholly functioned as just like this is this is the country for all mutants, you know, in a in as collective a manner before. And I think that's super appealing. I, I think that also ties to the thing that makes what makes an X-Men comic in this Dawn of X era so interesting to me is when it is a very when the book takes very Krakoa specific angles, right? Like the idea of this story can kind of only exist in the Krakoa era, the post-House of X era of X-Men. And I do think, in a lot of ways, that's where the books that I have not been as as captured by, like Excalibur and, um, and Fallen Angels to a much bigger degree, uh, like they kind of fall apart, where it's like, well, this story, I feel like it could have happened other times. Um, I don't know that it's as rooted in learning new things about this era, whereas something like uh, an X-Force is playing, even though it's like, it is the classic X-Force story. It is, hey, we got to get a, a band together of, you know, the, the mutants who will do the things that, you know, we don't want to do, but we have to because the world's a nasty place. But it's all in the interests of maintaining, like you said, this this new geopolitical status and in all these very era-specific things that are happening uh, to the world of mutants. So I think those books tend to capture my attention the most. But then, like you said, there's still some stuff that is just amazing character work, like X-Men number six, looking at Mystique and Destiny's relationship together and and how uh, Moira Magneto and Professor X, this kind of, you know, behind-the-scenes mutant trinity, are conspiring against them. So with that in mind, let's... So I, I think we're generally in agreement that Dawn of X has been overarching pretty good um what would you say to to readers who are feeling sort of let down or like it's it's not going anywhere because i'm seeing that criticism a fair amount just like that momentum from house and powers has kind of stalled um what what are your thoughts on that argument that it's moving too slowly yeah i mean i think if you take it relative to house of x and powers of x the they with momentum they set the bar impossibly high like they had it this is concentrated burst of ideas 
coming out every week uh, with really high production value in terms of the art, like there was always going to be there was always going to be a come down. Um, but what I would tell to readers who are really frustrated with that uh, is that you know I guess kind of trust that that we're going to get more of that 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 this the story set up there that it is going to move slower, um, but that it's coming. Like I don't know I I I think we have every indication to believe that that they're not just going to let these plot threads and these things that have sort of lost a little bit of momentum completely slide. Like I think, I think they've deliberately built something. I mean, this is a serialized medium. They're, they're trying to stretch the story out. Like, and I, I think they've built something that allows them to do that while also kind of feeding us like a trail of, of breadcrumbs kind of leading us through it. Um, and, you know, enjoy the, the journey, I suppose, as cliched as that sounds, that would be my, my take on that. Yeah. I do think with, with, Jonathan Hickman written comics in particular. It's a very uh, Philadelphia 76ers era. Trust the process, <laughs> like trust the process, trust the planning. You know, it's it's like he he has a plan here. He has a long term vision. He there is enough of a body of work, specifically just in the Marvel universe, to know that that's the case. Um, and I I do think for people who are thinking X Men in particular as a series is moving too slowly. And this is like a mild straw man, but also like it's, you know, it's comments I've seen on the CBH YouTube channel and over on on social. It's like this is going to build to a crescendo that is absolutely going to be worth it. I, I just I have absolutely no doubt in my mind about that. Now, is it a guarantee that it'll hit like in the most satisfying way possible? Of course not. Right. That's that's storytelling. Um, but I again, I think the journey, like you said, it is it is going somewhere, and I bet it's going a lot of places. Like we still have a lot of of hanging threads to get to. So I do think one argument to be made, and this was a question I think we had from uh, the other podcast to do as a my marvelous year. We had a my marvelous year supporter question that was like, "Do you think this is worth reading weekly, or do you think this will read better?" You know, when you do like a Marvel Unlimited binge, and my answer there was kind of, "It's gonna read better as a binge." Um, I'm, I'm the type of reader because I'm engaged and I'm talking about the material that I want to discuss it week to week, but I don't, I don't think there's really any, any way that it doesn't read better once it's all together. The question is really just if you can wait, I don't know. Do you have any, do you have any counter thoughts on that? <laughs> counter? No, I mean, I, we're, we're at the risk of being redundant. I think on, on every point we're making here, because we're like so closely in lockstep, but, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to read better as a binge. I mean, if you even if you look at the the six up the six uh, issues of X Men we've got, and I think if if you read those consecutive, like the complaints are coming because the that book is very episodic. They're they're the tone changes from issue to issue. But if you read them, if 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 you read the first three issues and you're frustrated that they're too light or that there's not enough happening in that, and then you read four, five, six, I think it totally recontextualizes what's come before it and, and makes it a better reading experience. But um, yeah, that is the sort of difficulty of you and I writing and, and sort of analyzing comics. It's fun to do on a weekly basis. Uh, but we, I think we do kind of give up the ideal way to, to consume a lot of these stories, which is in binge format. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. So I think, yeah, we're definitely in lockstep <laughs> on a lot of opinions in terms of Dawn of X Wave 1. Let's talk then a little bit about where, kind of where we think it's going, but also what are the the hanging threads? What are the questions that are left unanswered that are 
the most interesting to you that you're looking to see developed in either these wave two books um, or in just like a future state, you know, kind of unannounced event. I'll let you start. So top of the list, Moira, I don't, I like, I think it far and away the most uh, interesting thing that has been underexplored since house of X powers of X ended is this idea that Moira Mataggart has been a mutant all along that, uh, comes back to life and, and lives multiple lifetimes. And there was also talk at one point of a Moira specific comic, uh, which we, within this kind of wave of announcements, uh, we haven't heard anything about yet. So that's kind of the, that's the one I'm waiting for. Like, uh, that's, that's the big one for me. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, Myra was my number one pick as well. Um, I, I did a predictions and theories video over on the CBH YouTube channel and when I was talking about that, I, I'm predicting a Moira X limited series announcement this year. I don't see how the X office could go more than a year without delivering <laughs> on the promise of these secret timelines and just everything Moira is doing behind the scenes. I, On one hand, I, I am totally missing out and almost feel like it's like cruelly withheld to have zero Myra presence so far. But on the other hand, I do think when it hits, it's going to be doubly satisfying because, you know, it, it's going to come at a crucial juncture. And I'm extremely curious to see what her plans are. You know, I've kind of got it in my head, especially post X-Men number six, um, where it was revealed, you know, n not revealed, but like, you know, they doubled down on, Professor X and Magneto's unwillingness to revive destiny at Moira's behest, right? Like she has made them swear no precognitive mutants. I've kind of got it in my head because of that, that she is really afraid of something she has planned being discovered because it is like morally abhorrent or something. <laughs> like I feel like Moira's got an extremely nasty secret to tell that isn't just what was revealed in House and Powers, which was we always lose. I think it's more than that. I think it's something that is going to be upsetting to to the world of mutants. And I, I don't know what that is, but I'm really curious to see it explored. What what else are you looking for with, with Myra's revelation? I think that there's something going on. Like if you, I don't know about you, but I reread I re House of X and Powers of X a couple times looking for, for clues like, trying to parse what was coming. And I think there, whatever I, you're right. Like, I think there's something sinister coming with her. And I think Xavier is also in on it. Like the way that the way those bench scenes with the two of them are framed is it looks like there's, there's more going on there than just what's being said or what we know is happening. So I'm, I guess I'm sort of looking uh, for Xavier to also be almost complicit or collaborating with Moira Um and just touching on something else you said is I do think there is there is narrative function in sort of withholding uh, more of the Moira story for us during during this first year and and kind of like I wouldn't be surprised if there were clues being dropped left and right uh, that will be recontextualized the way a lot of House of X and Powers of X was uh, when we get bigger revelations later. So I guess I'm trying as I'm reading I'm I'm doing a very futile detective act trying to figure out what's going on with this. Well, and I think that's one of the that's one of the things that has hooked me so thoroughly with this era of X-Men is is you can do that detective work like exploring and and trying to figure out what are all the what are all like the X-Men continuity drops in here that might have revelations later um what are just the the ideas that we, like where we might go i mean i think like trying to predict the the ideas that Hicksman has for the X-Men is is futile but i think we can predict like general trends 
and and sort of movement potentially and that is absolutely i mean it's the most fun i've had in comics in marvel books probably i mean i don't want to say in my life because that sounds overzealous but like probably is like this the house and powers launch i mean that was like the most fun 12 weeks for me um that i've had i guess as an ongoing collecting comics reader for sure which again for me like you know i I talked about in our last recording really starts with the new 52 um but i so, so i didn't have the weekly dc 52 experience you know these these things that are generally critically acclaimed that were like pretty exciting week to week those 12 weeks were thrilling like absolutely and i'm still i'm still riding that wave um in a handful of a handful of ways, I, I do want to double down on what you said about like the narrative withholding. This is a trick we've seen, and we saw it in X Men number six from Hickman as a writer, where he will fill in additional details from scenes you've already seen. He did this on East of West all the time um, as that series built up, where they would run flashbacks and they would expand on it. So you'd think you know the scene, but then actually, like, no, there's more to it, right? We didn't we didn't see the next two minutes of the conversation. I think that's something that we're going to see more of with, like you said, the Moira and Charles bench scene. And I it, honestly, it could be as soon as like X-Men number seven, which is the one issue that is the next upcoming X-Men issue that um, people are talking about like a it's the hype right now is it's going to be a red highlighted, uh, you know, like house power style issue in terms of the changes that it dictates. And that's going to come out, you know, the week we're releasing this podcast, I think. So <laughs> potentially by the time this is out in the wild, it's going to be like, oh, X-Men 7 just uh, just dropped a Mario bomb on everyone. You know, it's it's potentially out there. Yeah, it's just kind of going to all our theories are just going to look ridiculous <laughs> once that comic comes out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, which is, you know, which is part of the because, uh, you know, making wild, reckless conjecture always works out that way. I think uh, in terms of other big hanging threads that are it, there's so many, I think, is the coolest thing about this again. But one that is just always going to be fascinating to me is like everything to do with Mr. Sinister and an apocalypse. These are just characters I love and as villains. And I really love their new status quo in the Krakoa era. So in the case of Sinister, you've got all these Sinister secret pages that have been teased with these mysterious clues that in some cases you can maybe work out, you know, some details. Um, it's like, you know, it's like playing Mad Libs or something, right? You're like trying to get to the bottom of what it could mean, but, you know, ultimately we're not going to be that close. So I'm really interested in in what he has planned, what the relevance of the Inferno teases are. We know Maddie Pryor's coming back in Helion series, which looks bananas. Um, we know Sinister is going to have a presence there. I'm curious why Inferno is going to matter <laughs> in the Krakoa era. Um, and I'm also really curious how Apocalypse's quest for his first horseman and kind of this mysterious location they're in um, with Arako, the connected Krakoan tissue. I'm I'm curious potentially to see that connect maybe to other worlds. Uh, so he's he's making moves into magical realms. The the idea of Excalibur that I will never stop loving the potential of is like apocalypse trying to claim or conquest sort of mystical magical alternate dimension realms i think that's like a hook that i'm super in on so i'm i'm curious if excalibur move in that direction uh what are some other things that you are like dying to see um yeah just building on that last point i think the the apocalypse question is one that uh remains fascinating. He's a, he's always been a character with an, with an agenda, with a very ambitious agenda, and it just seems as a longtime reader of these comics, everything in everything that every story that I've been informed 
by is telling me apocalypse is up to something. And so that's, that's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, one thing that that Hickman talked a lot a lot about before this launch, not a lot, but he sort of alluded to, was that they had interesting plans uh, for the way they're going to handle sexuality with the mutants. And we got a little bit of a tease with that in that diagram uh, with X-Men uh, that showed like Cyclops, Wolverine, and Jean Grey's rooms connected. That was sort of a big hit on, on X Twitter that week. So I'm interested to see where he's, where he's taking that. It's kind of a more irreverent answer, but it is... It does seem like, uh, based on comments he said and that and that one little tease of a diagram, that they do have something planned to sort of reframe uh, the relationships between characters, which has always been, uh, since the Claremont era, a really interesting part of, of uh, X-Men comics. I don't know if I'm alone on that island, but I, I kind of suspect I'm not. <laughs> no, you're you're definitely not, based on just the reactions on social. That was certainly... Obviously, like shipping characters and just the romances is a big is a big piece of what people enjoy about X Men comics. I did think in Wolverine number one, which just launched, there are some really tender moments between uh, Gene and Wolverine. I really loved the scene of of Wolverine playing hide and seek with a bunch of kids, and Gene sort of you know outing his position so the kids can tackle him. It's just this like impossibly joyous moment between characters that that don't get a lot of those. You know, obviously, like that's kind of the point with Wolverine. Um, and, and kind of the angle that Percy Ben Percy's taking on that title, but you know they they kind of like hold hands pretty tenderly, and it's it's a tease, but it's definitely not um, delivering. I think what what some X fans are looking for most passionately. I there's the giant size Jean Grey and Emma Frost coming up, which I feel like is the probably closest opportunity to begin answering more of these questions, specifically about the Gene Emma Cyclops Wolverine. You know what what do you call that? I don't know. I don't know what you call a quad quad relationship, <laughs> but polyamorous, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see how those romances play out. I, I think probably the the steamiest moment so far has actually come in Excalibur, uh, issue number six between Gambit and Rogue, which I thought was probably the best issue of that series, and definitely the best character moment between uh, Gambit and Rogue we've seen since what is um what was a like really underrated and great run by uh, writer Kelly Thompson. On, on the characters. So there's there's a ton, absolute ton to explore. And I'm I'm enjoying and engaged with just about all of it. Uh, is there anything you can think of that you don't want to see? What are the things that you're like, I hope they don't do X? I mean, if they backslide into killing characters permanently, like with any sort of regularity, I'll be pretty upset. Uh, I almost feel like there's a... Uh predestined death of Xavier or something or other coming. Uh, I hope not, but I just think that's such a narrative crutch and, and I really don't want to see them uh, backslide in, into that. And uh, I guess in, similarly, uh, any sort of like, like, I, like I, I'm like i interested in what Sinister and Apocalypse and characters like that are up to, but I also think sort of if they end up with some kind of like anti-Krakoa or anti-Xavier agenda... Uh, that's just blatantly like I want to bust up this status quo. I think that's also sort of a backslide. I guess anything that that feels regressive and and undoes what they've kind of built here. Um, I'm not really too interested in that. But other than that, I'm I'm pretty wide open. Um, and I, I kind of have a like the more new character relationships and and uh, team frameworks they can like that that Hellion's title on the surface just looks totally bonkers. And I am. 100% there for it. Uh, that 
pairing of strange characters, some of which I don't even recognize, like that egg with lipstick and legs. <laughs> like, but I am nonetheless very excited to see what they have cooking with that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's there are some fascinating choices <laughs> being made in Helions. When I talked about that previously, I basically said like, there's no middle ground for Helions. Like, there aren't there aren't going to be people who are like, oh, this is okay. I just feel like it's the type of series where it has to swing for the fences and either be amazing and strange or just be like one of the worst books. And I'm kind of inclined to think, you know, it has the potential to be the former. Um, I, I think in terms of what you said about regressing towards, uh, you know, permanent death of characters, it's so clearly the antithesis of what the resurrection protocols are meant to entail for this era of comic book storytelling. You know, and it's something obviously Jonathan Hickman has said in interviews. Um, I remember most specifically on the off-panel podcast, which is excellent, you know, basically like we're, we're taking that away so that if you want to tell a story about a character dying, you have to be more creative. You have to be more creative about the purpose of that rather than just that sort of big comics hook that's been happening since, you know, 93 Death of Superman, which is that's the story and is about the, you know, the ramifications of the character dying. Like, that's just not how these stories should function, which I think will be very interesting in the context of a tease we've already seen in the pages of um, Marauders where Kate Pride is apparently dead. There's been a tease, Storm and Emma and a bunch of X-Men at her funeral at the hands, as we know as readers, of Sebastian Shaw. I I already think this is like a misleading tease. Like, I already think it's going to be a fake funeral. <laughs> They're going to stage it in order to strike back at their own Hellfire power plays because the idea of actually taking Kate off the board, one, it makes no sense. I, I don't get why she couldn't be resurrected. And two, it's uh, it would be so regressive. It would be exactly what this line set out to avoid doing. So I that will be, I think, a very interesting litmus test for what you're describing. And I, I kind of have full confidence that um, Duggan and and the creative staff there on that book are going to pull it off because it's been excellent so far. Yeah, that I I am routinely shocked at how much I've loved that Mortars book. Which, if I had to do a like a pre Dawn of X rankings, would have been pretty close to the bottom of books I was looking forward to. Just it sounded goofy, mutants on the high seas. But that's a that's a hell of an idea. The uh, staged staged funeral to uh, like a false flag operation to tease out their enemies. I really like that concept. Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be super fun, and I, I think it would fit sort of the the political backstabbing nature of that book that has been, you know, part of it so far. I, I do think the other regressive sort of move that I am looking to avoid or looking for uh, the ex, you know, staff to avoid is is sort of achieving utopia, you know, of a sorts of sort of achieving this like mutant dominated Marvel universe. Um, but then like walking it back because it signifies too much change. And I always think of here, like in the Avengers vs. X-Men event in 2012, Cyclops and the Phoenix Five, they like kind of created paradise on Earth. <laughs> like people forget that they created like like an amazing paradise for humanity um, to a degree. You know, it's kind of totalitarian and and obviously like the Phoenix was, was influencing the X-Men in certain measures, um, but it really just gets wiped away in the way that certain things that happen in events always will so that the board can be reset. I guess the thing I'm, you know, maybe not even specifically that, but just like board resetting, I I really want the X-Men and just the Marvel Universe as a whole to like play along and go through some change, right? Like have this be an era that is defined by what is happening in Krakoa and let that last for a number of years. Um, it won't last forever. 
I get it, right? These are ongoing superhero comics. Eventually, something's going to happen. We aren't... Marvel comics are not going to end with everyone smiling and in a massive orgy on Krakoa. <laughs> but for a time, let us believe that it might. I think that's what people, people would be absolutely thrilled if that's how it ended. If there was just three issues of that was, was, was what this all led to would be a, the X fans would be beside themselves. Uh, happy to see that. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. Okay. I think, um, I think we've covered off most of the questions I wanted to talk about. Um, did you have any additional points or, or sort of wave two predictions or even just things you're looking forward to that you wanted to cover off on? Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the uh, Xavier Cyclops relationship. I think there's been, there's been a real, and I've heard Hickman talk about this uh, in interviews as well, but there's a real like, Xavier has his ego tied up in what's going on a little bit as, as people who tend to start movements often do, like they kind of their identity becomes part of the movement, but that he's trying to characterize Cyclops as like the dedicated to the mission 100%. Uh, and I think we've seen that a little bit in some of the, the uh, Cyclops Xavier interactions. So I'm kind of looking to see if if, if there's some of the conflict that's coming will will kind of derive from that. Um, and I would be remiss if I did not call for the inclusion of my favorite X Men, uh, sort of ironically, Maggot, which is I don't know if I've talked to you about this, but the the first comic I ever bought had Maggot on the front. Maggot is this ridiculous character from the '90s, uh, designed by Joe Materia, who's stomach is two kind of sentient maggots that just eat matter um so i just want to put try to once again speak into existence the inclusion of that character <laughs> i love it that's awesome yeah that's super funny um i don't believe i don't believe we've seen maggot in the krakoa era so far there there are honestly there are, there's a lot of characters still out there um that we haven't tapped into i think i am i'm definitely more drawn to like who are all the villains who are all the mutant villains that we haven't seen explored yet? You know, there have been these big ones, Apocalypse, Sinister, Gorgon, who are heavily integrated, obviously Magneto, I guess, um, who are heavily integrated into the structure and, and kind of even the power structures of the island. But like in Wolverine, number one, we, you know, we get that kind of that reminder of like Omega Red busts into the joint and it's like, Omega Red sucks. <laughs> like he's he's, yeah. he's straight up a serial killer, you know, and he was before he was was even turned into the, you know, kind of the weaponized Russian version of Weapon X that he is. And those are the types of mutants that I'm re you know, and Wolverine Magneto have a debate in that issue and it's it's very short-lived. But those are the types of questions that like, yeah, if you bring um Shadow King into Krakoa, is Professor X cool with that? Like you have these legacies of very specific antagonists who I think are are much like Cassandra Nova, for example, um, I, who are, are much harder to talk away. You know, like Magneto and, and Apocalypse even, you can kind of be like, oh, we had differences of opinion as opposed to like, no, you did terrible, terrible things to me um, and and now we're going to share a beer during, during a fireworks celebration. So I'm... I'm extremely curious in that. I'm also probably the final thing is I'm super curious about uh, the Omega level mutants that are not on the board, particularly uh, Legion. And I don't know if he's considered Omega, but like Nate Gray post age of X-Man. I'm really interested to see what is planned for those characters. Uh, you know, cause Legion obviously is so powerful. Nobody knows where he is. We saw teased in incoming number one sinisters. Like, I don't know. Don't know where that guy is. Uh, I want to know. I want to know more about Legion's role as an Omega-level mutant. I also want to know why why is Krakoa 
stockpiling omega-level mutants, what do they plan to do with them? Uh, I don't think that has been explained explicitly. Yeah, that, that I mean, you're right. Like they That kind of ties back in that structural thing I was talking about at the start. They've built this world where they can kind of plumb past continuity for all these excellent things. And that omega-red example was so good. Like that was... That was such an excellent tension to introduce that he's just, he's just a terrible guy. And, and you have this rule of total amnesty, but what, that guy's a sociopath, like, and he's murdered and continue, like he has to murder to survive. And like, there's just so many excellent um, places they can go with all that tension. And there was a line in, in that Wolverine comic that really made me think about the status quo differently, where he said, somebody says like, oh, you can still die, but that doesn't erase the trauma of it. And I think you can apply that to a lot of this new status quo. Like there's still a lot of trauma with these other characters and with uh, even with humanity and mutant population there. I mean, I could make a list of at least a dozen different elements that have just sort of been touched on in these books that I'd love to see explored more. The cartel introduced in Wolverine was really good. The humans that worship mutants is an excellent uh, topic to explore. Kate Pride not being able to use the gates. I mean, there's just so much narrative runway built in. And uh, I'm not to sound too Pollyanna-ish, but I'm very excited for all of it. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Like, it, it, it's true. Like, you can make giant lists <laughs> of things that we still want to see happen. And I, I, I think that's as we kind of are at this, you know, breaking point where it's like, okay, wave one's completed. Where are we? I think that's one of the best things that can still be said about the momentum the X-Men universe has right now is even if it didn't live up to, I think like you phrased it, those sort of impossible standards of excellence and just like of consolidation that House and Power set, um, it's still extremely engaging. There's still so much more to come. And and that's awesome. And like the, you know, I don't fall sales super closely, but I see these things pop up because I'm, you know, really interested in comics. The X-Men comics are dominating, like the sales charts. Like people are still... You know, these things are going to second, third printings, issue five, issue six, right? Like, I don't know that they're having the the Immortal Hulk, like, you know, like the sales rise as further issues come out, which is unprecedented post, uh, you know, like a series launch. But they're still people are still very, very interested. And I, I kind of hope that continues um, moving into the second wave, because I think probably the best is yet to come. Like, we're really doing a lot of scene setting and world building and, and one big transition thing is like house and powers kind of ended on in some ways like sort of a positive note in in the sense of like where we're at on Krakoa is everyone oh we're we're good here and we can finally rest a little but then the dawn of x has been like no this is still a mess and there's still so many problems to figure out and i think that is where all these interesting ideas can come from is okay you you created this nation but then how do you actually solve for all these problems um yeah, for sure. One, one other thing I wanted to just throw out there, like I had in my notes here, was that House of X and I think that House of X and Powers of X with their their weekly structure, like the 12-week series worked so well, I would be shocked that if Marvel doesn't, if we don't get another weekly X-Men story in the next year or so, because like what we've seen from Marvel over and over again is when something works, they go to it again. Um, they did it with that Avengers uh, No Surrender, they that weekly story that they pulled off there. Um, they went back to that well, and that wasn't even close to as successful as House of X, Powers of X. So I think that's something to keep an eye out for. And I I'd almost expect them to announce it uh, before San Diego at some point that we're getting another weekly story building on these ideas. Yeah, I think that's a great call out. I'll be at C2E2 this weekend, so I super hope it happens there because <laughs> that would be extremely Extreme. exciting to be, I, a to be a part of. It seems likely. I mean, they have, a, they have an X-Men panel with Hickman on it. 
Um, and I don't think he shows up at cons if he doesn't have something big. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I wonder if they don't announce it. I wonder if they're doing the free comic book day um, X-Men special, which is going to be written by Hickman. I could see that potentially, you know, launching or, or paving the way towards a summer event. Um, I don't I'm, I'm a comic reader who is pretty into events like more so than I think they get they get a lot of backlash right and and a lot of like because you get so many tie-ins and it it becomes sort of this very tricky thing to keep up with and and it can stop the momentum of other series and there's a million arguments about events in general right I almost I almost feel like it's not quite time for an X-Men event but if Marvel had the audacity and kind of the guts to say hey starting in June we're going to pause everything and do another 12 week weekly series or even not pause everything because that's that's super unlikely. But even just like, hey, new twelve issue weekly series. Um, it's the you know the the successor to House and Powers. I mean, I I'd be so game for that. That sounds awesome. I yeah, I won't. I'm not. I'm not gonna. You won't hear me say I'm pro event, but I do like events as well, and I would be really game for that. And I also like how they sort of inform titles for months to come afterwards. Like if another well done twelve week X Men event could could give a lot of these books that momentum that I think people are kind of uh, bemoaning the loss of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, that's one thing that again, events are controversial. A lot of people hate them. 2019 Marvel did a great job at events, <laughs> like the big ones, you know, kind of the temple stuff War of the realms. Very fun. Good. Tied into Jason Aaron's Thor. Excellently. Um, yeah. Dodderman and Wilson doing art. It worked. House of X and powers 10 unqualified success. And then I really dug absolute carnage. It's not perfect. The tie-ins are, a mixed bag like all these things um but it again it like plays off of an ongoing series in a way that i think is effective so if marvel keeps that track record going and historically they have not <laughs> so don't bank on it um but you know I, I do think there's a nice opportunity to to roll into the summer with an x-men event all right one final reckless conjecture here i want to hear your thoughts on it marvel has an eternals movie coming out at the end of this year a lot of people before it was announced that hickman would be writing x-men were theorizing Maybe Hickman's going to write the Eternals. Maybe he's going to be the guy to make that franchise finally pop. Do you think there's any chance there is like an X-Men Eternals crossover that we're building to? Uh, I hadn't thought about that at all. Um, I don't like I know they I've been waiting like probably everybody else for like, OK, when are they when are the Eternals showing up in the Marvel Comics universe? Because there's no way they just cold bring them into the movies without without laying some groundwork and having comics to sell with them. Um the X-Men, I mean, that's an interesting... If they want to go where the, the most juice is, that, that, that's it. That would be it. But I think they've teased it. I would uh, Jason Aaron, I think, is the other pick. And you got to... He maybe has his plate a little clearer now with Thor ending. Um, so I could also see it coming out of his Avengers run. Uh, but yeah, they're coming. Like, I don't know. I Do you have anything to point to? Or is that just totally... Uh, wouldn't this be cool if Hickman did it? I think it's primarily wouldn't this be cool. I, I think my... My biggest theory with the X-Men tying to the Eternals is, one, it's not unprecedented. So, like, when when the Eternals were kind of making a run at a go at a, at a series in the 2000s, post-game in um, mini, it was with a kind of X-Men crossover, the Manifest Destiny era, when they're all on the West Coast. So, like, the characters have interacted somewhat recently. They also, um, the thing that interests me the most is Apocalypse and his ties to Celestials and celestial technology is like the closest that I think really any big 
Marvel character comes to tying to the Eternals kind of naturally. And I think if you wanted to incorporate the Eternals to make them known before this movie, I feel like Apocalypse as a character is like kind of the biggest draw that you could do. Again, this is reckless conjecture. I have There's nothing textual that I've seen that suggests... The last time we saw the Eternals in the Marvel Universe was in Jason Aaron's and Emma Guinness's uh, Avengers run, and they were just like killed like off screen. <laughs> so they haven't had a great run of it. Like you said, I'd be kind of shocked if we don't see him before whenever this movie comes out. What is it? August, September? You know, something like that. Um, it, I don't know. I, I'd be curious. It might be overkill but i that's my i don't even know if it's a hope but just kind of like wild theory is give me some weird apocalypse celestials eternals content i like that the apocalypse connection also the the new mutants are kicking around in space for some reason that that, and hickman's writing it maybe that's maybe there's something there i haven't thought about it at all but i think there's maybe i remember him saying that i'll be dropping in to set things up in other titles and i kind of wondered what he's setting up with this new mutants work yeah, I'm, I've been thinking about that one, too, because so issue seven, um, which I don't, just came out last week, uh, he sets up Krakow and Gates, you know, on on a Shi'ar controlled planet and also on a Shi'ar controlled island. And it kind of had the feel of like, that's what this was all about for him of like, OK, now we can quickly get to the Shi'ar. I'll be curious to see what that actually means uh, for Krakoa and for mutants. Um, and, and frankly, I'm really interested in the idea of like, what is the X-Men's relate or what are mutants relationship to space? You know, they've set up a safe haven on earth, but they don't have a cosmic presence. And obviously with all the teases of the phalanx and, and all that wild, hard sci-fi stuff Hickman was doing with Titans and dominions and galactic superstructures. Like the X-Men are not in position to deal with any of that yet. So that to me is like a, I, I don't even know if it's, a, it's, yeah, it's a huge hanging thread. Like it's just this thing that needs to be built I feel like New Mutants was the first step in that process. Um, I bet we'll get some more with Empire and and the tie-ins there because that's obviously going to be a very big cosmic. Sure, yeah. Man, there's just so much to look forward to. Like, there's just so many different avenues for this. Totally, totally. So, Zach, this has been a pleasure. I think we can call it now. Um, this was super fun. Where can people find you online? Uh, I do comics commentary on my, my blog, which is comicsbookcase.com. I'm also on Twitter at comicsbookcase and Instagram. Cool, cool. And everybody can find me at Comic Book Herald online. And of course, go on over to comicbookherald.com to check out all of the content we have going on there. So this was fun. Thanks so much for taking the time, Zach. And uh, hopefully we will talk to you later. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. This was a blast.